What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. Our second episode of 2023 is here. This is a bonus episode. We've already recorded a pod earlier this week, but there's been so much to talk about with recapping the Fiesta Bowl and getting into the national championship. We have basketball things to talk about, transfer portal heating up, recruiting heating up for TCU. It's just been all too much to get in one sitting. So uh, the appetizer was served on Wednesday. It's posted on our website, frogsaward.com. It's been shared on Twitter. It's on Spotify or YouTube. Go check it out wherever you can. But we have another episode today. I am Russ Hodges. Anthony North, unfortunately, is not able to join me today. So I am riding solo like Jason Derulo today, but I am going to share with you all everything that you will need to know about this national championship game coming up January 9th. It's Monday, only a couple days away at SoFi Stadium in California. Kickoff is 6.30 p.m. Number three, TCU. Number one, Georgia. The Frogs looking for a historic win in this national championship game. It would be TCU's first national title since 1938. The Frogs also won in 1935, but since then it's been a pretty long dry spell. I believe it's 84 years to be exact. So some unfamiliar territory for TCU here in this national title game, a massive underdog already. I believe Georgia is favored by 12 or 12 and a half points, but uh, for the Bulldogs, this is familiar territory. This is a team that won 14 games last season, has already won 14 games this season, and is looking to defend its title after winning the national championship last season. Um, This is also Georgia's third appearance in the national finals since the start of the college football playoff era, and a team that has just been so dominant under Kirby Smart since he took over as the head coach of the Bulldogs. So just a really quick recap of how these two teams got here. So Georgia ran the table in the SEC, uh, finished 13-0 and with a dominant win over LSU in the SEC championship game, 50-30. to Stetson Bennett was excellent for the Bulldogs in that game. May have been why he was named a Heisman finalist, to be honest. I know he received a lot of criticism. Maybe he didn't deserve it. Maybe someone like Hendon Hooker from Tennessee or Blake Corum from Michigan deserved it more. But Stetson Bennett balled out for Georgia in that game, and he was also magnificent in the Peach Bowl game against number 4 Ohio State. That was the second semifinal game on New Year's Eve. Another high-scoring affair, an absolute banger of a game, to be completely honest. After a banger of a game between TCU and Michigan, I'll get to that here in a second. But Georgia winning 42-41, to C.J. Stroud throws for four touchdowns over 300 yards. Stetson Bennett nearly touches 400 yards passing, has three touchdowns, runs for a fourth touchdown, and the Buckeyes with a chance to potentially win the game in the final seconds, Noah Ruggles lines up for a 50-yarder, and the pigskin is zoinked way left to target, and Stetson Bennett and the Bulldogs rejoice, holding on 42-41 to punch their ticket to Inglewood for the national championship. TCU, on the other hand, uh, another big underdog in this game against the vaunted physical smash mouth Michigan football team ranked number two in the country. TCU wins a wild game in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl in Arizona. 
51 to 45. Max Duggan has four total touchdowns in this game. Amari DiMercato runs for 150 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Quentin Johnston is named offensive MVP. Six catches, 163 yards and a score. A crazy game, 44 points in the third quarter. But TCU never trailed in this game and never gave up the lead. The defense finds a way to get a stop at the very end of the game. Some questionable calls perhaps here or there, but nevertheless it is TCU shocking the nation with a big upset over Michigan to punch the first ticket and ultimately set the stage for where we are now, number three TCU and number one Georgia. So the Bulldogs are looking for win number 15. Georgia, since the college football playoff era started, has only lost two New Year's Six or CFP games. It was the 2019 Sugar Bowl against Texas when they lost to Sam Ellinger. I believe this is when they lost to Sam Ellinger, and he also notoriously said that the Longhorns were back. Spoiler alert, they are not and will not be back anytime soon. Um, But anyway, going back to 2018 as well, the uh, national championship overtime game against Alabama where Tua Tagovailoa throws the game-winning touchdown pass to win it for the Crimson Tide. Other than those two games, Georgia has been phenomenal under Kirby Smart. And let's go ahead and just jump right into it and start by talking about the Georgia offense because this is a very good offense. They have put up a lot of points over their last few games. Currently top 10 in scoring with 39.4 points per game. Obviously, Stetson Bennett is going to be the man under center. Has been very good, not only over the last few weeks, but he has also been very good in his career in these postseason environments. He has a winning record. He has a very good touchdown-to-interception ratio. He has showed up and played really well in these big games, so I expect Stetson Bennett to also have a good game and further justify him being a Heisman finalist this year. The Bulldogs also have a very good rushing attack. They average over 200 yards a game on the ground, like TCU, but they do it in a bit of a different way. TCU primarily features Kendra Miller. Amari DiMercato is kind of the spellback. Maybe Trent Battle gets a touch here or there, or Amani Bailey, but Georgia really features three running backs consistently. You have Kenny McIntosh, who is the Number one back, he's a very versatile player, has just about 800 rushing yards and a little over 500 receiving yards on the season. So he's a very dynamic player, can play on all three downs, can be used in different ways out of the backfield, can be lined up as a receiver on screen passes. I believe it was a screen pass that he caught and sprinted into the end zone for a touchdown against Ohio State. But they have a couple other guys as well, Daquan Edwards and Kendall Milton, who get regular playing time. Edwards has over 700 yards rushing on the season, and Milton has over 500. So it's it's kind of rare to have three running backs with over 500 yards rushing. But Georgia has a lot of balance, and I think that's what strikes me the most about this team when you look at all three phases of football. They have so much balance in terms of their personnel and the amount of uh, contributions they've gotten from different guys. And they they don't necessarily have those players that jump off the stat sheet. Even a guy like a Stetson Bennett, you know, you look at his stats on the year and 
they may not compare to some of these other great quarterbacks, but he has shown up in the biggest of games and played really well. And Georgia is able to find those big plays from guys who are not going to be the first two or three that you look at on the stat sheet. So um, a balanced rushing attack. Obviously, Brock Bowers is a big-time threat at the tight end position. Probably going to be the best tight end that TCU faces all season long. Lad McConkie has been a reliable wide receiver for them. I believe he may be battling a little bit of an injury, but um, has been one of their leading receivers this year. And the offensive line. Georgia's offensive line is always solid. They have Broderick Jones at the offensive tackle spot. He's a likely first-round draft pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. This is an offensive line that has given up only nine sacks in the entire season. That's tied for fourth nationally. So we talked about the Michigan offensive line, the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line that gave up four sacks to Dylan Horton and Dylan Horton alone. This is going to be another really talented offensive line for Dylan Horton and these TCU pass rushers to face. And the, the play on the offensive line for Georgia is also a big reason why they have just gobbled up minutes in terms of time of possession. Georgia ranks third nationally in total time of possession. So they are able to grind teams down. They are not a flashy team by any means, but they grind teams down. They play good football. They don't turn the ball over too much, and they make smart winning plays. So Georgia's offense is definitely going to pose some challenges for TCU. We will talk about that more in a little bit, but some of the highlights here for Georgia defensively. This is going to be another vaunted run defense. Michigan's run defense, as we talked about before, was ranked third nationally at just under 86 yards per game allowed. Frogs didn't care about that. Frogs ran for 263 yards, even with Kendra Miller leaving the game with a knee injury, and really established the line of scrimmage and took it to a quote-unquote smash-mouth football team. However, Georgia is a different story, I believe, because you have a team that I think is more battle-tested, having big wins against Oregon, Tennessee, LSU, uh, a tougher SEC schedule as opposed to playing mediocre Big Ten football teams. Georgia is giving up only 79.9 yards per game on the ground, and that includes the uh, semifinal game against Ohio State, where the Buckeyes ran for over 100 yards, but it took them 32 carries. Ohio State averaged 3.7 uh, yards per carry in that game with a variety of different guys. So Georgia did not give much up on the ground in that game or the SEC championship. LSU had a very difficult time running the ball against the Dogs, who right now are ranked fifth in the country in scoring defense at 14.8 points per game. So when you look at the grand scheme of things in the bigger picture, this is a very good defense led by a couple of guys who are likely going to be first round picks. In addition to Broderick Jones on the offensive side, you have Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle, who's a, a monster at times. You see it on the tape. 6'3", 300, is talked about as maybe being a top five draft pick coming up. Just has uh, clips in film where you just, it doesn't matter if you double team him. He still finds a way to get five yards into the backfield. Uh, he's going to be a force for this TCU offensive line to handle. Uh, Keely Ringo is viewed as a first round pick as well, the cornerback. 
It'll be a really exciting matchup to see him go against Quinton Johnston for TCU, another guy who could be a first-round draft pick. We'll talk about some more matchups to watch in a little bit here, but um, this Georgia defense, again, you talk about the balance, and there aren't too many guys in terms of sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, forced fumbles. Guys don't really jump off the stat sheet right away, but there is a there is talent on this defense. Um, I don't think this defense is as opportunistic per se as TCU. So Georgia's season turnover differential is actually minus one, um, which means Georgia's offense has committed, uh, or the the Bulldogs have committed one more turnover than they've created. Whereas TCU's turnover differential is plus nine. So the defense has really excelled in that area. The Frogs have uh, more forced turnovers this year than Georgia. Both teams are tied with 30 sacks on the season, and the Frogs have a very small edge in tackles for loss. TCU has 84. Georgia has 82. So um, a defense that really is able to dominate by getting teams off of the field in necessary scenarios. So we're going to talk about third and fourth downs here. So Georgia only gives up 27.13% of third down conversions, which is second in the country behind only Marshall. Uh, was not expecting Marshall to be the team to be ranked number one there, but Georgia gets teams off the field. Um, teams are only converting on 40% of fourth downs against the Bulldogs as well. So Georgia is a very good team on later downs. They are also one of the best teams in the country in red zone defense. And the red zone in general is where Georgia excels, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, teams only score on 66.67% of drives that get into the red zone. That's tied with Oregon State for number one in the country. So this team is excellent in the red zone, and it's going to be imperative for TCU, who did fare well in that category against Michigan, to repeat that success here in the national championship game. So let's talk about a couple of those matchups. I mentioned Quentin Johnston, who was the offensive MVP of the Fiesta Bowl, going up against Keely Ringo, two potential first-round picks, uh, both with good size for those positions. I'm really excited to see how that matchup turns out. Uh, also, Dylan Horton, again, who could have been a candidate for defensive MVP, although it was given to D. Winters, who was just as good in that game with seven tackles, three tackles for loss, a pick six, was all over the field against that Michigan offense. But uh, Dylan Horton has an opportunity here after making some cheddar against uh, Michigan to go up against the big-time prospect in Broderick Jones. I'm interested to see if the Frogs and Joe Gillespie, the D coordinator, line Dylan Horton up on his side, if they put him on the other side, if they try to blitz off his edge with a linebacker or a DB, we will see. But that'll be a matchup to watch as well. Um, Georgia really attacks defenses with Brock Bowers and Kenny McIntosh. Their skill sets, they're very versatile players. Brock Bowers is super dangerous over the middle of the field. And Kenny McIntosh, like I mentioned before, a guy that can play on all three downs. He can run off the edge. He can run between the tackles. He can catch balls out of the backfield. And Kenny McIntosh is averaging uh, well over 10 yards a reception. So he's not just a 
check down back to go pick up five or six yards. He is a guy who they design plays for him and they get him the ball in space and he's able to make things happen with his speed. So uh, TCU's linebackers who last week against Michigan, I think really had the challenge of stuffing the holes and not allowing Michigan to establish its physical run game. The challenge this week, I think, against Georgia is going to be, can these linebackers cover over the middle of the field? Johnny Hodges, Jamoy Hodge, D. Winter, Shadrick Banks, can they get their hands on Kenny McIntosh? Can they get their hands on Brock Bowers? Can they cover these guys well enough to force Stetson Bennett to throw the ball to McConkie or some of those other skill players? And I think that will definitely benefit a TCU defense that was absolutely locked down in terms of how the corners, Trey Tomlinson and Josh Newton fared against Michigan. So another huge challenge for the frog linebackers. And then lastly, how is the offensive line going to handle Jalen Carter? I watched the clip during the game against Ohio state where it was, I think it was kind of framed as a knock on Jalen Carter, to be honest, because he only had one tackle in the game. He was very quiet in terms of uh, what showed up on the box score, but there was a clip that I saw where the Buckeyes put a center and a guard on him and he pushed both of them about five yards into the pocket. And that's the kind of disruptive, physically gifted player that he can be. I think he's had some, some criticism at times that maybe he takes plays off, but when, when he puts his mind to it, he is a force in the middle. So I think for the frogs who have been, unbelievably consistent on the offensive line. I saw a tweet earlier today. I believe it was TCU Insider. Shout out TCU Insider for this little nugget here. Um, when you look at TCU across the offensive line, Brandon Coleman, Steve Avila, Alana Lee, Wes Harris, and Andrew Coker, all five of those guys have started in all 15 games for TCU this season. That is extremely rare. It's been a huge reason why the Frogs have run the ball so well, why Max Duggan has taken so few sacks. And in this game, for those guys on the interior, uh, Alana Lee at the center position, Steve Avila at left guard, and Wes Harris at right guard, to be able to contain Jalen Carter and give Duggan the necessary time to make throws against a uh, pretty shoddy Georgia secondary right now is going to be huge. So... Um, speaking of the secondary, that'll get into what I want to talk about next year. And that are, that's the keys to the game. And for those who don't know, I've done a series on frogsofwar.com throughout the week, uh, preview articles for this matchup, offense, defense, special teams, uh, what's at stake, keys to the game, matchups to watch. I believe Anthony will have a couple of things coming out soon for y'all as well. But, um, keys to the game here and I discussed it in one of my articles, three things stuck, uh, stood out to me right away. The first is being able to attack the secondary. So C.J. Stroud had no issues carving up the Bulldogs in the semifinal game. He threw for four touchdowns, over 300 yards. Both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka went for over 100. But when you go even further uh, beyond that, LSU also fared really well against the secondary. The Tigers actually threw for over 500 yards in that game between uh, Jaden Daniels and Nussmeyer, and they were trailing by multiple touchdowns throughout that game. But 
this is a a vaunted run defense, but also I think a very vulnerable secondary and vulnerable pass defense the Bulldogs have right now. So I think for TCU, a team that has really thrived on hitting big plays down the field to Quinton Johnston or Savion Williams or Tay Barber, they're going to be able to, I think they're going to have opportunities to hit on those kinds of plays. And especially if Quinton Johnston can win those matchups against Keeley Ringo, um, I believe Max Duggan and this passing attack have an opportunity to generate some yardage and hit on some big plays in this game. So that's going to be a key for TCU. Number two is winning on early downs. I mentioned it before, Georgia, not only on the defensive side and getting teams off the field, but also on the offensive side and extending drives is one of the best teams in all of college football on those later downs, third and fourth downs. So uh, for TCU, when you look at the Michigan game, the Wolverines were 3-for-13 on third down and 0-for-2 on fourth down in that game. The Frogs were 8-for-16 on third down. So the Frogs did a much better job of moving the chains, picking up solid yardage, 4-5 or five yards on those early downs. That's going to be another key for this game to avoid being in those obvious third and long fourth and mid or fourth and long situations against this very good Georgia defense. And lastly, it comes down to the red zone. Um, Michigan has two chances to score inside TCU's five-yard line, and they fumble one, and the other is a Philly special gone bad where J.J. McCarthy just gets lost in space and doesn't know what he's doing. Um, In a game where you win by six points, and your opponent has two chances to score a touchdown inside the five and they don't do it, that's a huge swing there. And um, Georgia, I I just brought it up a little while ago, they score on almost every red zone drive, but their defense is phenomenal in the red zone. Teams only score, and by scoring, I'm not just talking about touchdowns, I'm also talking about field goals. So Teams only score in general on two-thirds of their red zone drives against Georgia. But the Bulldogs on the other side, some little nuggets here, they have actually been in the red zone more than any other team in college football. They lead college football in red zone drives with over 70, I believe. Um, They have scored on 97% plus of those drives. So that means basically every time Georgia gets into the red zone, they're scoring. They have settled for quite a few field goals. I will say that they've kicked over 20 field goals in the red zone, which by far leads college football. I think if you're the Frogs and you can hold Georgia to three points, that's a huge win, especially with how this offense has looked. But the Frogs being able to perform in the red zone and on those early downs, as I mentioned, as well as being able to attack that, uh, reeling Georgia secondary. Those are my three biggest keys for this game coming up on Monday. So what's ultimately at stake here for for these two teams? Um, The Frogs, believe it or not, have been really good in bowl games since entering the Big 12. They're 5-2 over seven bowl games. That includes the uh, miraculous Alamo Bowl comeback against Oregon with Bram Kohlhausen. It includes the 2017 Alamo Bowl, a great game against Stanford in, uh, in, I believe, Kenny Hill's senior season. 
Kenny Hill played really well in that game for TCU. The infamous Cheez-It Bowl of 2018, where the Frogs win 10-7 to against California in one of the biggest rock fights that you will ever see. Um, but one of those losses actually came against Georgia. It was the 2016 Liberty Bowl, which was Kenny Hill's first season with TCU, a, a year where he really struggled, was benched multiple times. Uh, but TCU somehow gets to 6-6. Six and six. They make it to the Liberty Bowl, and Georgia wins that game 31-23 in what was actually Kirby Smart's first season as the head coach at Georgia. So these two teams do have a little bit of history. That 2016 Liberty Bowl was the last time these two teams played um, and really helped cap off a super promising start to Kirby Smart's career at Georgia, where he is now... 80 and 15 overall and 48 and 9 in the SEC, which many college football fans view as the best conference in college football. So uh, tremendous props to Kirby Smart. He's had an enormous amount of success at Georgia. Um, but another interesting nugget that I found on social media, and this also may have been Insider TCU as well. So if it was, shout out Inside TCU, uh, Insider TCU again. But since the college football playoff era began, there has not been a defending champion who made it to the finals and won. So we have we have not had a repeat winner of the national championship in the college football playoff era. The last team to repeat as national champions was Alabama, and that was 2011 and 2012. So that was still in the BCS time of course it was Alabama because they've been so dominant, but you look at some of these past winners, Bama has won multiple times. Clemson has won multiple times. Joe Burrow's LSU team won a title. Georgia has won, but we have not had a repeat champion. So Georgia looking to do something unprecedented here in this college football playoff era, and that's win back-to-back -back national titles. And hopefully TCU can prevent that from happening as I mentioned way earlier in this podcast, the Frogs are huge underdogs in this game. The biggest underdogs they've been in terms of betting odds in any game this season. But I think that could play in TCU's favor. You want to know why? Because the Frogs were also underdogs against Texas going on the road. TCU wins that game 17-10. to Underdogs against Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl, a game that the majority of folks are picking the Wolverines to win. Frogs pull off the huge upset. So the Frogs have answered when Vegas has come knocking at their door. And as I have done all year, if you've followed on the Frogs of War podcast, Anthony and I always do our predictions. When we're done talking about the matchups, I'm getting pretty close here there now. So I'll go ahead and just float my prediction out there. Given what I saw over the two games on New Year's Eve, I'm expecting fireworks in this game. I was very conservative with my prediction last week. I believe it was 24-20 TCU, or 24-21. I think that was my prediction. Anthony's was 24-20. We were very similar. We did not plan that, by the way. Um, it was very similar, but I think there's going to be a lot more scoring in this game. But, as I have done all year, I am going to pick the TCU Horned Frogs to win the 2022-23 national championship. My prediction is going to be 38-35. I believe both quarterbacks 
are going to shine in this game. I think the Frogs are going to find a way, as they have done all season, when things don't seem to be going their way, to turn the script upside down against this vaunted Georgia team and clinch not only the national championship, but the 14th win on the season, which, if they do it, would be the first time ever that TCU has won 14 games in a season. By beating Michigan, they got to 13-1. and The last time TCU won 13 games was the uh, Rose Bowl season under Gary Patterson and Andy Dalton when the Frogs beat Wisconsin, a legendary season that Frog fans will always remember. But that season and this season now are the only times where TCU has won 13 games. So both TCU and Georgia with an opportunity to make a historic mark on college football Monday evening, again, 6.30 p.m. at SoFi Stadium for all the Frog fans that are making their way out to California. Wear your purple and white, cheer loud for the Frogs, be safe, make good choices, and hopefully we come out of this on the other side at the top of the mountain. So that is pretty much everything I wanted to share with y'all and and our insight about the matchup against Georgia. A couple little things that I will hit on before I close out this episode. A couple of little recruiting nuggets. TCU has still been busy in the portal and on the recruiting trail. Most notably, they have secured a commitment from Alabama transfer running back Trey Sanders. This is a pretty big deal for a player. I know he hasn't played a whole lot over the last few years, but Go back to 2019, this was the number six overall prospect in the country by 247 Sports Composite. The number one running back in the country had comparisons to Jordan Howard coming out of high school. A player who's built very well, six foot, 215, big time five-star recruit. Uh, Is going to come to TCU after four years at Alabama. He's a redshirt junior right now, so I believe he will have two years of eligibility remaining. And for TCU, it makes a lot of sense because the likelihood of Kendra Miller, who is questionable for the national championship game, by the way, that's one thing I did forget to mention is uh, Kendra Miller, for those who don't remember, tweaked his knee at the end of the first half against Michigan. Preliminary, pardon my... uh, got rolled over my own tongue there, but Kendra Miller's preliminary injury reports suggest that he's questionable for the game. If it is an MCL, I have no clue what to expect from him in that game, but uh, thinking about Kendra Miller leading into the game, obviously like most Frog fans are, and hopefully he's able to give TCU something, but if not, Amari DiMercato I think is more than capable of answering the bell. Anyways, Kendra Miller, I think is, if it was, if it were me and I was Kendra Miller, I'm probably going to the NFL after this year because I don't think my stock is going to be any higher. If that's the case, the Frogs are also going to lose Amari DiMercato, who I believe is a fifth year senior who came back on a COVID year. So for a team that's going to need some running back depth going into next season, you do have Amani Bailey, you do have Trent Battle, you have Cameron Cook coming in who signed he's a four-star recruit potential redshirt candidate regardless you're going to need some veteran experience so trey sanders i think is a guy who can come in after this season and compete for the two deep 
as we go into 2023. And so a notable addition for TCU, it's the fifth transfer that TCU has secured in this cycle, three of which are Alabama players, not just Trey Sanders, but also wide receiver JoJo Earl from Alito and offensive tackle Tommy Brockermeyer from All Saints in Fort Worth, who's also a former five-star recruit. Uh, joining them are also Avery Helm, the cornerback from Florida, and Jack Beck, the wide receiver from LSU. There are some rumors that Oklahoma State wide receiver John Paul Richardson might be coming to TCU. That's not confirmed. I've seen things floating around on social media. Um, maybe by the time this episode drops, he's announced it, but could be someone to watch uh, as well in terms of the portal. In terms of the recruiting cycle, uh, TCU will have a couple of uncommitted four-star guys that they are in the running for announcing their decisions very soon. Jelani McDonald and Mikhail Harrison Pilot, both of which are four-star athletes from the state of Texas. Jelani McDonald, I believe, is a viewed as a toss-up between TCU and Texas, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Texas. And then uh, Mikhail Harrison Pilot, who has been recruited pretty heavily by Malcolm Kelly and Garrett Riley. I believe they got a picture with him before he started prep for the All-American game. Houston is the big threat there, and from what I have seen, uh, predictions are that he will sign with Houston, which if he does, he would be the number one recruit in that class for the Cougars. But if TCU is somehow able to make a last-minute push for him, it would be a huge addition. Uh, a kid from Temple, Texas, which is where Quentin Johnston went to high school, chance to maybe follow in some footsteps there. I don't know. But um, All-American game is January 7th. So again, this episode may be... Uh, posted or not be posted by the time that's happened so we will have more recruiting and portal reaction when we when anthony and i come back uh next week and recap the national championship game and talk about more frog basketball things yes there is still basketball going on there was a bas uh, basketball game on new year's eve tcu beat texas tech 67 61 we did talk about that on the podcast earlier this week what we did not really talk about, though, was another awesome second-half comeback against the Baylor Bears. This was on the road in Waco, TCU number 17 in the country, Baylor number 19. This was the first time ever for the two programs that they faced each other as ranked teams. Baylor led this game by as many as 17 points, up 49-39 at halftime, and for the second straight game in Big 12 play, the Frogs find a way to come back in the second half. Their defense is able to kick it up a notch and force some turnovers. They outscored Baylor 23-2 in fast break points, 16-9 in points off of turnovers. And despite a another pretty bad shooting performance from three-point range, they went 3-14 three for 14 from three-point range, but 19-23 of 23 from the free throw line, that's just under 83%. Another really good game for TCU from the charity stripe. And the Frogs, with some late-game theatrics, win this one 88-87. They are now 13-1 overall, just like football, 13-1 on the season. Uh, but 2-0 now in Big 12 play after the win over the Red Raiders as well. How it went down was TCU was losing, um, I think it would have been 87-86 to 86 at this point. And Mike Miles 
who was phenomenal once again in this game, the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year, Mike Miles, with 33 points in this game on 12 of 21 shooting, led all scorers in this game. He brings the ball up the floor in the final seconds. He kicks it out to Chuck O'Bannon uh, near the baseline. O'Bannon, I believe, he dribbles once, puts up a long two-point shot, hits it from the baseline elbow area. Um, initially, it was a roll to three. They changed it to a two, but nevertheless, it put TCU ahead by one point with under 10 seconds to play. Baylor has one last chance to potentially win the game. They get a decent look at the rim, but Xavier Cork has great recovery defense and blocks the shot at the rim, gets just enough of it to deflect it away, and TCU wins 88-87. to um, Four players were in double figures for TCU in this game. Eddie Lampkin and Damian Baugh both had 15 points. Damian Baugh had seven assists, which was a team high, and then Eddie Lampkin with nine rebounds, which was also a team high. Emmanuel Miller had 13 points as well, as he continues to just be a very sound all-around player for the Frogs. Uh, TCU forced 15 turnovers in this game and committed only seven. So TCU taking care of the ball over these last couple of games and also forcing the issue on the defensive side. A bit of a struggle from the bench in this game. Uh, two consecutive games where the bench has kind of struggled. Uh, Baylor outscored TCU 21-6 to in bench points. They actually had two bench players uh, get double figures in this game. I believe one had 10, the other had 11. I can't remember their names exactly, but uh, a couple guys on the bench, Jacoby Coles, Micah Peavy, who uh, have shown in non-conference play that they can play well, so they're going to need to pick it up a little bit uh, going into these next few Big 12 games. The next game for TCU is at home against ranked Iowa State, who right now I believe is number 25 in the country. And I believe that's Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, regardless of when this episode is posted, we will have uh, recap and reaction from that game when Anthony and I bring you all the podcast next week. So... That, folks, is everything that I wanted to bring you today. Again, um, a solo run for me, but Anthony will be back hopefully this coming week when we do our next episode, where, again, we will talk about the national championship game. We will talk about some potential recruiting and portal news, as well as more TCU basketball stuff. So, again, thank you all so much for joining us if you are watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify. We really do appreciate the support. We are over 21,000 followers on Twitter now. We appreciate all of the reads and all of the clicks, all of the comments. It means a lot to us. Um, we're trying to build our following on social media and on the website, and we're trying to generate some good content for y'all. So uh, very thankful for all of the support. Uh, again, hope everyone had a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day celebration. And continue to follow us online at frogsofwar.com. Uh, chop it up in the game thread. I'm sure there will be a game thread going Monday evening for the national championship. Uh, continue to like, share, comment, uh, follow our content. Again, all of the support means the world to us. So thank you all again. Uh, hope this was a good listen. And tune in next week when we got more coming your way. Go Frogs.